What a rousing song. Good morning, North Boulevard. So glad you're here. Nice crowd for a Labor Day weekend. Those of you online, we're really honored that you would join us, and I just want to make sure that you all know you are invited. I'm encouraged to be here Thursday evening for this, I think, sixth annual New Day Conference that we've been hosting. This Thursday, we'll do uh, in person. You'll enjoy being here. We have some really good speakers lined up, and um, I hope to give you a blessing today out of Colossians, the third chapter. So, open up a Bible, if you will, Colossians chapter 3. Nothing beats having a Bible there in your hands, even if it's on the screens behind me. It's really good to have it. Colossians 3, we're going to look at verses 23 and 24 together in just a moment. So early one morning, a mother went in to wake up her son. Wake up, son, she said. It's time for school. He rolled over and gave her this really irritable look and said, I don't want to go to school. And she said, well, whether you want to or not, you have to go to school. To which he said, Mom, all the kids there hate me, and all the teachers there hate me as well. And she said, well, it doesn't matter, son. You still have to go to school. After all, you're 44 years old, and you are the principal. <laughs> so you don't like your job. There's a support group for that. It's called Everybody, and they meet around the television every night at about 7 o'clock. What is it about work that is both funny and also sad? Why is it that sometimes our jobs can be our most frustrating things in life and at other times our most exhilarating things? I mean, there are people who live for their jobs, who find their greatest satisfaction in their work, and then there are others who just can't wait to retire. You know, uh, see, we got an amen on that. <laughs> I, I guess part of it is because we spend about, the average adult spends about one-third of their waking hours at work. That is, by the time you retire, the average American adult will have spent 90,000 hours working, and that's an awful lot of time. It's a, a little, might be a little surprising to you to hear that uh, whatever study I read, which may or may not be true, suggests that by the time you're 30, the average American will have had seven jobs, seven different jobs by the time you're 30. So I kind of looked at my own life because I thought there's no way that's true. And sure enough, I had seven jobs by the time I was 30. That includes summer jobs and whatnot. But that tells you that working's a really big part of our lives. So we should not be surprised that the Bible actually addresses work, jobs, and career as frequently as it does. And one of our best go-to texts is the one I want us to look at today on Labor Day weekend. And it's out of Colossians chapter 3. Paul's doing what we would call a house table. That's kind of a technical term where Paul just sort of ticks off every role in the house and says, okay, if you're the husband, do this. If you're the wife, do this. If you're the father, do this. If you're the son, do this. And he gets to servants. It's not a category we have, thank God, but we do have employer-employee relationships, and that's really analogous. So without spending a lot of time into the servant thing, which, I, which is worth doing, but we're not going to do it in the sermon today, let's just talk about how Paul addresses us as workers with our jobs, our careers. And I want you just to think, so you have a job, you have a career, even if you don't have a name for it. If you're a student, that's a job. If you're a homemaker, that's a job. 
You know, if you're a teacher or an MD or whatever it is, we're counting all of that. And Paul has something to say. If you're retired, you still have a job. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. That all of us actually still have a calling. And this text teaches us that we can take the job we have, if, if it's a student, whatever it is, and we can turn it into a sacred calling. In fact, when you do that, you find great satisfaction in it. Because nothing is as satisfying as finding yourself in the will of God. So let's read the text. Whatever you do, Paul says, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is just a really good summary of how to view your job. So can I just get you to stop for just a second? Wherever you are, again, student, employee, retired, whatever it is, will you just stop for just a second and bring your job up to your brain for a moment so that when I talk, it's not, a, I don't want to talk about work. I want to talk about you, right? Steve Jobs once said, don't sell iPhones. Nobody cares about your product. Everybody just cares about themselves. Sell them. And that's why Steve Jobs was so successful because he knew that like it needs to apply to me. So think about your job for a minute so this sermon can apply to you. I have no idea where all the iPhone stuff just came from. It was just floating around in my head and it popped out. What's your job? Is there a way to think of your job as a spiritual calling? You know, this matters because uh, ever so often someone will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I wish that like you I had gone into full-time ministry. And I'm always honored when someone says that. I'm flattered that people say that because I, I realize they're valuing what I do. Sometimes I say back to them something like this. I'll say, well, I'm honored. You should know that a lot of my job is not that dissimilar from whatever you do. That in ministry we do a lot more, a lot more administration than you might think. Uh, we do a lot of HR people work just like you do in your job. Um, you know, for a long time, I assumed that the primary job of the minister was hauling tables and chairs because that's what I did every day, hauling them from one place to another. Uh, so one thing I would say is it's, not, it's probably not all that different from what a lot of other folks do. But the second thing I want to say is no, 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 don't. God needed you where you are. Like if we're all full-time ministers, who's going to serve at Nissan? Who's going to serve at your office? Who's going to be God's minister at Riverdale? If we're all doing what I'm doing, there's nobody out there. I mean, God actually puts us where he wants us, and he invites us to think of it as a calling and not just a job. So, I want to give you a couple of ideas about it. I'm going to talk about honest work. And when I, so, so after these, I'm going to give you a few points up here. After this, assume I'm talking about honest work. There are some jobs where you need to really consider getting a new job. In the first two cases, you definitely need to. If your work is producing a product or a service that's questionable, that, that might be of questionable, uh, questionable integrity, you need to leave that job. Or if you're expected to compromise your integrity in order to succeed, then first you need to see if there's some way for you to get that changed. Next week, God willing, I'm starting a series on what do we do. It's a, it covers a lot of things, but one of the big questions that I, I'm now being asked is, what do I do when I'm at work? The HR department's telling me that I have to start doing things that are against my faith. We're going to talk about that in some detail, God willing, starting next week. But I'm going to say this, first we try to negotiate. First we see, is there some way for me to do what God has called me to do? But if at the end of the day, you're going to have to compromise, you just need to leave that job. 
because there's no paycheck worth your integrity. No paycheck. But then there's some other lesser important things that might indicate that, you know, it's a good time for you to look for another job. If, for example, management is consistently done poorly, if you're not paid enough to take care of your family, that actually matters. If you're put in dangerous situations or if your work is inconsistent with your gifting, this is actually like we've kind of found ourselves in the last 30 or 40 years able to do these personality inventories that are really helpful. We ought to be thankful for that. So, for example, if you're an extrovert and you get a job working in a cubicle in a library, it might not be a good fit. If you're an introvert and you're put in charge of sales or something like that, actually we have some introverts who are really good at sales, but, not, but oftentimes the whole people thing is really exhausting for you. So sometimes we might just say, I'm not really gifted for that. But rather than thinking about changing jobs, let me tell you for many of us what really ought to change. And it's not your job. It's your attitude. That for many of us, we just don't appreciate the fact that our job is a gift from God. It's the attitude that needs to change. So I was talking to a guy not long ago. This guy listened to this. It's a true story. I'm not making this, and I'm not stretching it. In fact, I'm not even saying it as badly as it is. He makes $9 an hour. That's not a lot of money. He generally works about 60 hours a week. He gets no overtime. He... uh, the work is almost purely physical. I mean, tough, the kind of physical where he's physically is building muscles that's so physical. Uh, there are lots of nights that he doesn't get but four or five hours of sleep because he has to work. His supervisor screams at him. I don't mean just loud. I mean screams at him, gets in his face and screams at him. And the work is so dangerous that some of his friends have died on the job. And you know what? He loves his job. He's a United States Marine. He loves his job. In fact, the Marines, this is, this is a recruiting poster. Can you imagine, like, if, if you work for Ascension Hospital, this is a recruiting poster, you know? Gordon Ferguson looking up at you like, yeah, come on in. We welcome you. We're looking for a few good men. It's a recruiting poster. You know why? Because what the Marine Corps is actually selling is an attitude. They're just saying, if you really think you're man enough, come join us. And 38,000 people do it every year. 38,000 say, yeah, I want, I want a piece of that. Yell at me. Make me do push-ups. Take me out there and get shot at. I'm just suggesting that sometimes it's your attitude, not your job. You know the difference between a monk in a monastery and an inmate at the workhouse? You know what the difference is? There's no difference. It's just their attitude. Attitude is the only difference. They have the exact same lifestyle. But the monk loves it because he's living for God and the inmate hates it and is plotting his escape. What I'm suggesting is that for some of us, it's not the job, it's the attitude. So, let me give you a few ideas. Signs, we'll call them, that you might want to change your attitude. I won't spend a lot of time on these because I want to kind of finish the sermon. But I will say this, if you would rather receive assistance than to work, you need to work on your attitude. Like that's a real big problem. And uh, I don't think I need to talk much about this at a place like North Boulevard because there are a lot of really good, hardworking people at North Boulevard. But I, I think most of us would agree that in the U.S., we're sort of now teaching people it's okay never to work. And here's the deal. They're not benefiting from this. We were designed to work. It's in our genetic structure. 
And when a person never accomplishes anything worthwhile through work, they suffer and the entire fabric of society is rendered. I, I had someone tell me who does a, uh, has a small business, says, this is how bad it's gotten. Says, and not in recent times, if they need a position field, filled, they'll put an ad out, get 10 contacts. They will schedule 10 interviews, only three will show up. Of the three who show up, two are in their pajamas, like they're not even serious. They'll end up hiring one out of the 10 that they started with who won't even show up on their first day of work. That it, there's something, it's like we're breeding a whole generation that just doesn't appreciate the fact that work is to our benefit. There's something about work that satisfies. We were created to work more on that in just a moment. But I will remind you, the Bible's pretty clear on this. If you don't work and provide for your family, now I'm not talking about people who can't work. I'm talking about people who won't work. The Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever. All right, second, and similar to this, if you're unreliable or lazy, I had somebody just tell me, look, if you'll just show up and work on time, that's all I need. Just show up on time. So the book of Proverbs repeatedly talks about this problem of laziness. If you're not diligent, you end up in forced labor. Uh, you might need an attitude change if you can't find meaning in your work because all good work, and from this point forward, when I talk about work or career or job, I'm only talking about honest work, okay? That way I don't have to keep saying that. So I've already said dishonest work, you need to quit. But let me tell you, there's meaning to be found in all work. A great satisfaction available. If you have a hard time practicing the fruit of the Spirit at work, it's probably not your job. It's probably your attitude. If you don't use your work as a ministry, it might not be your job. It might be your attitude. So I'm just encouraging you to do what this text says to us. Quit thinking about your boss as that person who tells you what to do and start thinking that your boss is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and bring your job to a spiritual calling. All right, I'm going to give you just a few points on this that I hope are very biblical points. First, recognize that your work is a gift from God. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says this several times, something similar to this, that one of the greatest pleasures we get in life, so Ecclesiastes is this really earthy book um, that you, almost you have to work at finding something spiritual in there. It's an odd book in a lot of ways. It's kind of a, like a Pink Floyd song or something. I don't know. I don't know where that came from either. It's Labor Day week and it's like, I don't know what's going to come out today. I'm, I'm, a, I'm more scared than you are. Um, but <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, over several times, the Ecclesiastes writer says, look, th at the end of the day, just enjoy your wife. Enjoy a good meal. But here's where he says, be satisfied with your work because this is a gift from God. So I said in a moment, I'd point this out, but y'all know that God works. God has a job. That if God were to have DNA, in his DNA would be a disposition to work. That God enjoys work. You know, God didn't have to do the creation. He did the creation because he wanted something to work on. It's like when you retire. You know how you, when you retire, what do you do? Some of you retire and you're busier now than you were when you had a job. Because you, now you're just like, you just love working. And so not only does God work, but he says to humans in Genesis 1, when he creates Adam and Eve, when he creates the man and the woman, he says, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it, which is another way of saying, be in charge of my creation. Work it. 
And if you miss it there in chapter 2, he explicitly says to Adam when he put him in the garden, I'm putting you here to work the garden. That is, work is a gift from God. If you look at your job as a gift from God, it really helps you to change your attitude about it. Like in a lot of ways, we get to continue God's good work of creation. And that's true no matter what your job. You know, so if you're in construction, you're actually, you're, you're literally civilizing the world. So uh, I didn't get permission to pick on it, but right over here to my left is Bob Blaylock, Robert Blaylock, who's been a, one of Tennessee's best veterinarians. Who's always, like every time he does, he masters some skill, he's always mastering a new skill. Uh, so uh, had the uh, animal clinic out on Highway 99 and without his permission, I can tell you about Bobby that um, when you bring your animals to him, so he really cares about his animals. And I know if you're a veterinarian, you all do. But there's just something that I think Bobby looks at. If you ask him the question, he would tell you that his practice is an extension of God's creation. That he's actually just extending what God did when he created the heavens and the earth, which is one reason why he's such a good veterinarian. Uh, which, and I told him earlier, I just admire you, Bobby. I really do for that because I've seen it for years and I know, it, I know it's real for you. It's a beautiful thing that you see your work that way. But, but all of us have that capacity, don't we? To see that my work is the extension of something God started at the creation. All of our work can be seen that way. So I'm just encouraging us to see our work. Uh, think, even, even the work of retirement, I want to throw this in. Even the work of retirement. Back in the 1990s, two of our members, Francis Bumpus and Ken Bumpus, Francis had been a secretary at North Boulevard. Ken worked in construction. Ken has passed on, and Francis, I hope you're watching us. They came to me in the late 1990s. They had both retired. Francis had retired from North Boulevard. And they said, you know, we're, now that we're retired, we think we should do something with our time and our skills. So Ken had done construction. And so they came up with the idea they would get an RV and they would go up to upstate New York and they would work with a children's camp that serves the inner city children of New York City. So they began to go to Shiloh. Now, some of you have been to Shiloh half a dozen times or, or maybe more, maybe a dozen times. That's where it started. It started when a retired couple said, hey, now we have resources and we have skills and we have time. Let's use them for the Lord, as a gift for the Lord. About six years or so ago, I, don't remember, I can't tell you exactly when, but Ray and Carol Holland were living in Southern California. Ray had retired twice. He served as a city manager, and then he also served as the public works director for the fifth largest city in the state of California. They were watching North Boulevard on their iPad. They'd go to bed at night, and they'd put North Boulevard on the iPad, me preaching right between the two of them, which is something to think about. Um, <laughs> I don't like to get between a husband and wife, but in this case, I'm all right with it. Um, and they just one day looked at each other and said, we got to move to Murfreesboro. Had never even been here. So they got up and they moved to Murfreesboro. Well, about a little more than three years ago, we asked Ray to become our executive minister. Now, in the Church of Christ, a lot of us don't even know what that means. Ray basically is the team leader. So the staff reports to Ray. He organizes things. He manages everything. He does this because he loves the Lord. You know, Ray has never taken a penny of salary. He works full-time for North Boulevard. I mean, a lot more than 40 hours. Never taken a penny. It's their joy in their retirement 
to be able to use their resources and the skills. So think about Ray for a minute. Ray might say, I just wish I'd gone into ministry. Well, I can tell you if you'd gone into ministry, you wouldn't have been the manager that you are today that we need. We needed you to do all of that so that when you got here, those of us who are ministers who know nothing about management, as we have well proven, would have someone who could help us think all this through. I'm just suggesting for all of us, we can think about our work not as something I have to do, but something I get to do. It's in my DNA. Number two, just work for God. Work for God. Here's how Paul puts it in our text. Work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord. You know, I wish I had thought about this when I was in high school. Literally, when I was in high school, I took it so unseriously that I'm ashamed of myself. I could make a C or a B and that was enough for me. I just didn't care. All I was thinking about was I want to be a preacher. I can't wait to get to school and then I'll start taking it seriously. And I did. When I got to college, I started taking it seriously. But I look back on it now and I realize all the things that I could have done if I had imagined myself as a student for the Lord. Latin. They offered Latin in my school. I didn't take Latin. I wish I had taken, I should have taken Latin. I know that's small for some of you, but all my life I wished I knew Latin. And then they were offering it next door down. And I was just wasting my time in study hall. I don't even know what I was doing. Nobody knows what I was doing. I'm just suggesting, look, think of it this way. I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to let the Lord be my boss. Someone told me about this company a couple of years ago when my son was in Johnson City. So I don't know much about him, but I looked it up in preparation for the sermon. The Mitch Cox Company, so it's a real estate development and maybe a brokerage. I'm not sure what all. But they just, someone was telling me, you know, these guys are really, a really good Christian organization. I have not worked with them. But I went on their website in preparation for the lesson, and I just noticed this. For 40 years, from the beginning, Christian principles have always guided the company in its daily business affairs. I like the fact that they are unafraid to be openly Christian. Then I looked at their core values. Look at the core values. This on their website, this is what they lead with. We're a company grounded in the Christian values of humility, honesty, integrity, respect, kindness, a sense of community responsibility. I'm going to say some of you are going to start a small business. Start it like this. Some of you lead a small business. Lead like this. Whether you're a teacher or administrator, whether you're on the line, whether you do long care, whatever it is, think of it this way. And then this sentence, we strive to create eternal value. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that the meaning that you want? That's the difference between a monk and a prisoner. A monk realizes that he or if it's a nun, she are actually creating eternal value. Donnie Smith, who was the former CEO of Tyson Foods, spoke at our School of Christian Thought. This was just before COVID broke out. So at one point, Tyson had over 100,000 employees. He was the boss of 100,000 employees. Started out in Shelbyville, by the way. Or Tullahoma, Shelbyville. Carol, Shelbyville, yeah. Uh, and as he was talking about how he tried to lead as a Christian, it was just fascinating. They hired over 100 clergy just to minister to the employees because they just wanted to express their care for the employees. But the thing that stuck with me the most was how he said their goal is to add value to everyone who works for Tyson. If you're going to work for Tyson, they want you to know how important you are. I'm just suggesting we all have that in our, in our scope of work. And so here's how Jesus puts it in John 6. Do not work for food that spoils. Work for that 
uh, work for food that endures to eternal life. All right, I got to keep moving. Number three, think of your work as a school of discipleship, or as Paul puts it here, remind yourself that you are serving Christ the Lord. So, um, I'm going to run to this text. See, I think what a lot of us are tempted to believe is that I have my work, that's where I do my thing. I have my marriage or my family, that's where I do my thing. And then the rest of my time, I live a Christian life. Actually, that's not the case. The greatest laboratory God gives you for life is your job. That's where you're supposed to learn the fruit of the Spirit. The one reason why you have the job you have is because God knew you needed to learn joy. So he put you in a position where you'd have to learn it. It's a lab for you to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. It's where you actually start really kind of figuring out, okay, this is actually what my life is like. This is what I'm really trying to do with life. So at your job, you learn patience. What, what, what would you think you were going to learn patience? How'd you think you were going to get it? Like you don't get a divine infusion. It's not like you lay down on a bed and God puts something to you and says, okay, we'll just pump a little patience into him today. The way you learn patience is by being put in difficult circumstances. And that's real patience because that's earned patience, earned patience. How do you think you're going to get joy? You don't get joy by a transfusion. You get joy by being in difficult situations and looking for what God is up to. That, that's one of the things that our work is supposed to do. It's supposed to provide for us um, a school of discipleship. Anthony Campalo is a Christian writer and speaker who was uh, in his 80s. Actually, I, I was I looked, looked him up before this week just to check and kind of see his status because I knew he was getting older and had, had some sickness. And I think he he's, has COVID, I think, this week, so he's not doing very well. But he's spoken at some pretty big events. And his wife, Peggy, often goes with him. And he made a remark in one of his books some years back that she had kind of gotten tired of going to these big events in New York City or Pittsburgh or wherever it is, Philadelphia. And she's meeting all these big wigs and they ask her, what do you do? And she says, well, I'm, I'm a housewife. So she said, I decided one time I was going to beat that. So she wrote a new job description for herself. They went to an event. At the very next event, a woman comes up to him and says, so you're Anthony's wife. What do you do? And she said, this is what I said. They had three kids. She said, and I quote, I'm involved in socialization of two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition so that they might be transformers of the social order into that kind of eschatological utopia God willed for us before the foundation of the world. And as an afterthought, the uh, other woman looked at her and said, oh, well, I'm just a corporate lawyer. So, you see, what she managed to do was she managed to understand that her work as a mother is really a school of discipleship. And that actually leads me to my next point, which is turn your job into an access ministry. Guys, this is a word that I really would like for us to learn. Every ministry that's worth its salt will make disciples. So rather than just having a ministry and hoping that a disciple somehow comes out on the other end, I want to encourage you, whatever your ministry is, I'm talking about now at North Boulevard, we have 100 ministries here. Think of how you can use your ministry to make a disciple. But I want to stretch you and say, that's why you have the job you have as well. This is really important. It's a lot more important than I can make it sound in just three minutes here. 
But what I want to say is the reason you have your job is so you can make a disciple of the people you're working with. And if you don't make a disciple, if you're not interested in making disciples of the people you work with, then your job's going to become a self-centered and maybe even narcissistic endeavor. It's going to be measured by what I get out of it instead of what I can give through it. And so Paul, the apostle, when he became the apostle, wouldn't you have thought that the apostle would say, you know what, I'm responsible for 780,000 churches and all these baptisms. I, I guess I'll give up my day job and just be a full-time apostle. But he didn't. He kept making tents in spite of the fact that he was now an apostle. He was a busy person. You know why? Because he understood that as a tent maker, he had access to people he couldn't gain access to any other way. So one of the beautiful things we picked up from these disciple-making movements when we visited in West Africa is how they think of themselves as disciple-makers through their vocations. I'm telling you, as it gets more and more hostile in North America, if we don't make this shift, we're going to be in trouble. That the question I have to ask is, am I using my job to make disciples? If instead I'm just thinking of my job as something that serves me, I'm going to want to protect the job when it gets threatened. But what if I'm thinking my job is just an access tool to make disciples? Well, if I lose my job, that's fine. God will give me another access tool. You see the difference? It's a really big shift. So while we're there, I'm, I'm asking, everybody that's planted a church, I ask them, kind of get my picture with them? Everybody I met. This isn't Sierra alone. That's why I'm on all the pictures. I'm not, I wasn't bragging. I just wanted proof. I couldn't believe how many people were planting churches. So I asked this guy, what do you do for a living? You know what his answer is? I'm a disciple maker who's also a dentist. So he gets you in the dental chair, straps you down, puts that deal in your mouth where you can't talk, and then preaches the gospel to you. He plants churches in dental chairs. But if you ask him his job, he doesn't say dentist. He says disciple maker who happens to be a dentist. This guy is a contractor. He's planted five churches. You know what he does? He goes to a new village. He starts building a subdivision, and he makes disciples out of the people. So if you ask him what his job is, you know what he says? I'm a disciple maker who also does contracting. That's what he says. He doesn't say I'm a contractor. And, I, and by the way, sometimes I even baptize people. No, he leads with I'm a disciple maker who happens to be a contractor. This woman has her own business doing, I don't know what they are. Because <laughs> I've learned this word 20 times, cassava. Does anybody know what this is? It's a, it's a vegetable, it's a root. It's some root. That's all. Let's just call it the root. So she like does roots for a living. And all her employees, she's been discipling them. She's actually planted one of the biggest churches in Sierra Leone. They have 250 members at her church. If you ask her why she does, she says, I am a disciple maker who sells cassava or whatever it is, roots. These guys, ask these guys what they do. You know what they do? What do you think their job is? Somebody answer. Disciple maker. Yeah, they're disciple makers who happen to be soccer coaches. Each one of them. They plant churches through soccer. And this is my favorite guy, this one here. This guy is on their, this is their, the comedian on their late night television program in Sierra Leone. So I haven't watched late night comedians in so long, I don't even know who's on. But last time I paid attention, it was Jay Leno, who's probably dead by now. But anyway, this is, this is Jay Leno in Sierra Leone. Ask him what his job is. What do you think he says? I'm a disciple maker who's also a national comedian. The guy's planted two churches through his comic 
gig or whatever it is, whatever you call it. I'm just saying, that's, what, that's how you turn your job into a sacred calling. Use it as God would have you. And then just kind of take it one step further. And all the money you're getting paid, like find a way to use it for the kingdom of God. Paul, again, talking about tent making, he says, you know that these hands of mine, can you imagine saying that? He's talking to the elders from Ephesus. Uh, he's just, the last time he's going to see them. And he's called them on the beach and they're all sobbing and crying because he's given them his last farewell. And he says, these hands of mine, I bet they're all knotted and gnarly and all. These hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companion. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. He understood that the resources God was providing for him were to be used for the kingdom of God. And I want to brag on you guys. When the pandemic broke out, most churches were assuming that they're going to hit some real financial problems. Do you all know in North Boulevard, you guys, have pro you're probably giving, I don't know the number, but I would say about 15% more since the pandemic than you were giving before the pandemic which just totally blows my mind. I don't get it. People lose their jobs, and all of a sudden, everybody's giving more than they were, which is a, it's a statement about who you are. But I want to make sure you understand, those dollars are going into the kingdom of God. You have no idea what kind of fruit you're going to see, what harvest you're going to see at the day of resurrection. We've been supporting Andy Miller down in Orlando for several years. Someone sent this clip, and I, it's from a little back, I just hadn't had a chance to show it, but I just want, I want you to see this guy. And so I ask you, Kyle, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. Upon that Barely confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. So this is Kyle Keller being baptized here. Uh, he's being baptized by the mission work you're doing in Orlando. And here's what I want to say to you. You're never going to meet Kyle until the resurrection. And he's going to look at you and say, wait, you're from the church that sent the missionary down that saved me. I mean, that's just what, that's what our work does. The missions committee just circulated this a couple of weeks ago. These are churches planted, disciples made, leaders trained, in the last almost 75 years since North Boulevard has been active from various places in the world. Actually, we'll talk about uh, in Peru here, we'll talk, we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. But here's the fascinating number. Y'all remember um, back in 2013, we said we'd, we'd love for God to use us to plant 60,000 churches. If you weren't here, we actually said we, we want to plant 60,000 churches. I just want you to know nobody believed it. Even those of us who were saying it didn't believe it. But it just turns out God might actually do that. So in the last 75 years, North Boulevard has planted 451 churches. But 300 of those have occurred in the last two years. We're actually, North Boulevard, in partnership with other organizations, is now planting a church every day of the week. We'll plant a church today. We'll plant a church tomorrow. We'll plant a church on Tuesday. And if you're thinking to yourself, you remember, the, you remember giving all that money for 2020 vision and all, and you're wondering, I want to tell you what's going to happen. One down the resurrection, you're going to meet somebody from the Middle East. You're going to meet somebody from Iraq. You're going to meet somebody from Pakistan. Here's a prayer. You're going to meet somebody from Afghanistan on the day of resurrection who's going to look in the eyes and say, you're the church that sent those guys to me. You're the church. I'm just saying, and we couldn't do it had God not gifted us 
with work. So to put it in other language, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the value of work here on Labor Day weekend. Or to put it in the language, one of the sweetest quotes from a school in Philadelphia, I think in 1967. I say that because at first service I said Atlanta. And I was quickly corrected because Google is everywhere. Martin Luther King was speaking to a group of junior high students talking about the value of work, and I'll end with this. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Isn't this sweet? Such a great preacher. Quote, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Works a gift from God, brothers and sisters. So let's give it back to God by making it our spiritual calling. Now, if we can pray for you, if we can help you with that, go back to the back or online, punch that prayer button. We'll be happy to help you. Let's stand up and let's sing.